Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all. If you don't know, my name is Chip Pryor. I'm the Creative Arts Director here, and I get the pleasure of speaking with you today and closing down the series, The Lost Arts. I've been kind of nostalgic this week, thinking about this topic. Uh, this is going to sound kind of like old man, kind of woes and stuff like that, but when you're feeling nostalgic, you say things like, back in the day. Right? We don't say back in the days. I don't know why we ever say just like back in the day, but I've been thinking about like how life was better in some respects back in the day. I was thinking about a couple of just like these different lost arts. Now, a lost art, I'll read the definition if you didn't, if you missed that. It says it requires a particular set of skills. That was like the worst taken impression ever. Uh, that many don't do anymore. So it's things that just don't happen anymore. They've been lost. And so one of the lost arts, I believe, is in this industry, this field of gaming, okay? Like you punk kids who always have to have an iPad or a PlayStation 5 or all that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, no, what you need is one of these, the waterfall ring toss. <laughs> that was when gaming was awesome, okay? First of all, you didn't need electricity, so you weren't in a big panic if it got down to 3% on your battery level. Very easy to do. You just press the one button, you get all the rings on it. The only downside of this is that after about a week, the water would get really cloudy and moldy, start to smell kind of funky, so you'd have to kind of dump it out, but then you'd fill it up and you're good to go again for another week, so waterfall ring toss. Um, also, a lost art is driving. I'm not talking about driving skills, like no one's good at it anymore, but just the experience of driving. Driving used to be a full body workout. So you would use your right hand to shift gears, you would use your right foot to do the gas and the brake, the left foot, clutch, and the left arm to get up that window. Remember how heavy those things were? It's like, oh, you know? Now you just get like a $100,000 Tesla and does all the driving for you, all that kind of stuff. So lost art of driving. Um, organizational skills for you young bucks. This is a lost art. And I have the solution, the trapper keeper. We need to bring back <laughs> the trapper keeper. This kept everything in nice little three subject pockets, had a little Velcro, kept everyone organized so you always knew where you were. And today as we kind of talk about this other lost art, I believe this is the lostiest, loster art of all the lost arts, and that's the lost art of hospitality. So the definition of hospitality is the friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, or strangers. How rare is that? in our world. I think even before the events of this last year where we've been told to avoid guests, avoid visitors, avoid strangers, all in the name of public health, I mean, even before that happened, it was just becoming a dying art. It's really becoming out of style. I'll give you an example, and if you're over 30, you might remember this. If you're over 30, when you were growing up and you heard this sound, That was a thrilling moment in your house, wasn't it? It was exciting. It was like, whoa, and everyone in your house would come running to see who was at the door. You open it up, and there's someone who was just in the neighborhood, and you, they, you invite them in, and like, it's like a big event. Like Everyone comes down, and it's really exciting. Now, granted, we didn't have a lot going on back then. There was like three channels. We only had the waterfall ring toss, so it wasn't that big a deal to be interrupted, but it was an exciting event. Now you hear that noise. What is it? It's like, what? what? Who's out there, right? And maybe you're like looking through your blinds, you're telling the kids, shut, 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 shut up, shut up. 
Or you have this reaction. When you hear the doorbell ring, you don't do anything. Because this is what I do. I hear the doorbell ring, and what is it? Just an Amazon package, right? I don't even move. It's like I wait for the truck to just drive off, and then it's safe to go outside your, your front door to grab. UPS is gone. Phew. I have this, um, this neighbor, and um, he's awesome. He, um, he, you know how you have to call now before you even go to the doorbell? You know, if you ever sold anything on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, you know, you give people directions to your home, and then they call you and say, I'm here. I'm like, why don't you just come to the door, man? Ring the doorbell. But my neighbor doesn't do that. He ignores all the, the current social protocols. This is the sound when a neighbor comes to my door. I'm not joking. So that gets me out of my seat. I'm like, I'm in a panic. I'm like, what is it? And he just wants to say hi. You know, like, I'm just like, dude, come on, man. Maybe he knows if he just rings it once, it's going to be Amazon. But he just like, just said over and over again. I think he thinks it's funny. I don't know. I think it's really annoying. But he's a full-grown man. He's not insane. He's just, just likes that doorbell. It's like, you know, maybe like a little kid thing. When you see that little light, he's just like, well, today I'd like to inspire all of us to cultivate um, the art of hospitality, the lost art of hospitality, a little bit deeper and a little bit farther. And we have all, every single one of us here, have been given a practical tool to help us accomplish this. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint of what this is, because you might not know what it is. When you think of southern hospitality, don't say this out loud, but what are you thinking of? We've actually created a whole industry called the hospitality industry. And the biggest division, the biggest arm of the hospitality is one of my very, very favorite subjects. And it's the tool that we all have to equip us to do hospitality better. It's food. Yeah. Were you all thinking food? Some of you guys were thinking hotels. No, it's food. It is food. Food and the experience of food, I believe, is a lost art in our culture. Now, the greatest expression of hospitality around the world in all cultures is the giving and the sharing of food. It's personally one of my biggest passion areas. And, and it's not because I'm a foodie. When people say, oh, I'm a foodie, I'm like, oh, you like food? Wow, that's so original. <laughs> Gosh, wow, you're so unique. I mean, all of us like food, so I think everyone's a foodie, right? But food has literally changed my life. It has literally changed my life because my definition of food over the last four years has changed, it's expanded, and I used to think food was just whatever was in my pantry, whatever was in my refrigerator, just whatever I stuffed down my, my gob here, that, that's food, right? But now, as my definition of that expands, um, I really put food in two categories, okay? Two categories and two categories only. It's either food or edible food-like substances, okay? So I'm going to give you some tips and some tricks to kind of help you figure out if it's what you're eating is food or if it's edible food-like substances. And I arrived at, I think, about 90% of what we eat in this culture, in the standard American diet, or SAD for short, is about in the latter category. And I arrived at this percentage by just walking around supermarkets and health food stores. It's true. So I'm going to give you three food commandments. I wanted to spend this whole time talking about like, food, but we're just going to use this as a tool. But I'm going to give you three commandments Okay, that are going to help you figure out if you can put food in the food category or in the edible food-like substances. So the first one, thou shall not consume foods that have more than five ingredients. 
Okay, so if you, by the way, are you guys having a good time in church already? Like, it's like, oh, I don't want to hear about this. All right, so if you go home and you take your box of cookies, or your crackers, or whatever box food you have, if you turn over and read the ingredients, someone doesn't like to do that, but if you read the ingredients and there's a paragraph of stuff, and you have to be a chemistry major to figure out what the stuff is, or you have to Google some of this stuff, that's probably an indication that it's not real food. It's an edible food-like substance. Another way to think about this is if your great-grandmother wouldn't recognize this item as food, so if you showed your great-grandmother if she was still alive, if she showed her like a Cheeto, she was like, what is that, you know? Is that a carrot? Like, no, it's a Cheeto. It's like, that looks like a stick, right? So if your great-grandmother doesn't recognize it, it's probably not food. If it arrived through your car window, I'm just saying, if it came through your car, it was delivered to you through a car window, it's probably not food, and it probably has more than five ingredients. Okay, second commandment, thou shall not get your fuel from the same place your car does. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. I want you to begin to think of gas stations as processed corn stations now. Okay, so you get ethanol outside for your car, and inside, you can go in and get corn products. You can get the salty corn products. You can get the sweetened high fructose corn syrup beverages. And so don't fuel your body with the same place that your car does, okay? Uh, this is my favorite one. And if you're in a bad mood now, this one's going to be a good mood, okay? You're going to love this one, okay? Thou shall not eat food that's gross. You do not have to eat food that tastes bad. Isn't that the best thing you've ever heard in church, maybe? I had a friend who sent me this, this video last week, and I want to show it to you. I think it illustrates this quite well. I think I had that on loop. I watched that a hundred times. I could not stop laughing at that. Because you don't have to eat broccoli if you don't like it. It's not just for... George Bush Sr., if you don't like broccoli, you don't have to eat it. There are so many foods on the spectrum of food that are really good for you and taste awesome. I don't know if it, has anyone ever tried that with an Oreo? Does that actually make broccoli taste like, like a cookie? I don't know, you know? But uh, you don't have to eat food that's gross. So if it's gross, spit it out. Uh, so here's a couple things about food, okay? Food will do these three things for you. It will keep you lean. Real food will keep you healthy. If you eat human food, it will keep you healthy. It, food is medicine, and you will be healthy if you eat real human food. It will keep you energized. So when you eat real food, it's supposed to make you feel good. Go figure. I never thought about that as like food, just like something I ate, but I didn't know that food could actually make you feel energized and good. Edible food-like substances, in contrast, promote unneeded fat storage. They promote disease. They're literally toxic to your body, and they promote fatigue. All right, I'm not talking about the 10-minute sugar rush you get after a Red Bull or, you know, a Snickers bar, but you should not feel fatigued after you eat food. You should have the exact opposite. So why are we talking about all this? Okay, so food is the tool that can change your life, and it's a tool that can change other people's lives. Food's the tool, and we've all been given this tool. So we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk a little bit about why hospitality is so important, and then I'm going to give you some practical tips on how to use that tool to cultivate it further. And Jesus is going to tell us a story in the Gospel of Luke that illustrates this really well and some other things. So Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16, Luke says this, For there was once a man who threw a great dinner party 
and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out a servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food's on the table. I want to stop right there for a second. A lot of us think, maybe currently, or maybe you've thought this in the past, that God, your view of God, he's kind of like a, like a cosmic policeman. You know, he's just looking around, waiting for you to mess up. He's kind of keeping a record of all your wrongs and all your rights, kind of like a div- divine Santa Claus or something like that. And he's just looking to wait for you to mess up so he can write you a, a ticket. And Jesus is showing in this parable that God is so much different than that narrative. And this might be the best thing you've heard in church in a long time. It's like God is not a policeman. He is someone who is a loving father and he's a, he likes to throw parties. You know, God is someone who wants to throw a party. He's, he's a gracious host and he's preparing a massive and delicious, expensive meal and he's inviting people. He's inviting a bunch of freeloaders like us to come and take part in it. And he gets pleasure out of giving and serving. I mean, that's, that's a totally different concept of God than maybe some of you have. And so I think that's important to kind of think about that as we go through the rest of the story. Luke continues, then they all began to beg off, one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and I need to get home to my wife. He probably said it like that. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly, go out, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and homeless and down and out you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded, and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite for my dinner party. So all those who were invited made lame excuses, or at least the first group, pretty lame excuses. And now the host is angry. Now the text doesn't tell us who he's angry with or why he's angry, but I can kind of sympathize with that. Um, I can imagine spending $100,000 at a banquet at the, the Jefferson Hotel and you get all these RSVPs from this guest, you're trying to prepare like how much food needs to be uh, consumed and then the guests blow it off for whatever reason. They just don't show up. And you can imagine the, the hurt and the disappointment and the anger for a host who had to, and in this story, in this time, had to kill animals. Animals need to be killed for this feast to take part, and then people were just like, nah, got other, other things to do. And the host doesn't want this to go to waste, and so he invites anyone and everyone. And that's more good news, too. It's one of the things I love about being a follower of Jesus is that every other system of religion in the world requires that you have a, um, you need to follow the rules. You need to get in line. You need to do A, B, and C, and then you'll be accepted into this religion. Or you have to be born of a certain ethnicity or a certain race, or you have to achieve a certain socioeconomic status. Not so with following Jesus. None of that applies. What applies to following Jesus is that he's given you and me and everyone an invitation, and we accept it. 
So here's a question I want to leave or put on the screen, and it's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a scary question. Uh, the implications of this are huge. So what kind of guest are you in Jesus' story? What kind of guest are you in his story? So there's something that all the guests had in common. They were all invited. And so maybe you're one of the, the, the former guests, the latter guests, is that you have accepted an invitation. You are someone who looks like you need a square meal, maybe literally, maybe figuratively. You're a, you're a misfit. You're, you're homeless, literally and or figuratively. You're down and out. I mean, that's, that's me. I'll admit it. I bring nothing to the table. I bring nothing to the equation of my relationship with God. It's all him, 100% him, 0% me. And it's like that for all of us misfits who have come to Christ by, by faith, that he does all of it, and we bring nothing to the table. Uh, and maybe, you know, you're reading through that parable, and you're like, yeah, I, I am one of those, those first guests. That maybe I've declined that invitation, or maybe I've just ignored it. I've blown it off. I haven't RSVP'd. I've made excuses. And I just want to say, if, if that's you, and, and you're here today or you're watching online, I, you know, there's probably a spark of, of curiosity with that. Uh, I just want to encourage you to, to get those questions answered, to strike up a conversation with any of us on staff here at Velocity. This is why we exist. That's why we, that's why we started this church, is so we could have these conversations of helping people find Jesus and love God, and we want to help you do that. And if you have honest doubts and questions, that is totally okay. And if it's not anyone on staff, find someone that you know that, that follows Jesus and, and, and talk that stuff out. It's so vitally important. We would love to have that conversation with you. And so that parable we just read, that's a, it's an amazing allegory of how we're all invited to be a part of God's kingdom. But it also illustrates how God works in the world. It's how he works in the world, and he models this for us. And he gives us an example to do likewise. So in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7, Peter writes this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know why followers of, of Jesus, these misfits who have accepted this, this invitation to the banquet, you know why they practice hospitality? And I emphasize the word practice. No one's just great at this, okay? We, we all practice this. Do you know why we do this? I'll tell you why we don't do this. It's to not to be nice people. It's not to be better class of American citizens or anything like that. We do it because of what God did for us. He modeled this. And so this is why we make it our chief goal to do these things that are highlighted, to love each other deeply, to offer hospitality and do it without grumbling, to, to serve others in love. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And showing hospitality, it, it's not you know, something you do once. It's just a way of life. Uh, this was demonstrated to me a couple of years back, and I saw a social media post about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. But I was reminded of our missionaries in Nicaragua and Granada who go to a trash dump. And trash dump is putting it mildly. I mean, for those of you in this room that have been there or watching online that have been there before, you know what I'm talking about. We've talked about this at Velocity, but for us, 
Americans who go to this thing, it's, it's mind-blowing that we go to this place where people, 10 hours a day, pick through garbage, and garbage that's already been picked through three or four times already. And this is how they sustain themselves. It works out to, I can't even remember the figures, but it's, it's just pennies, pennies a day. And so our team, our missionaries, go twice a week. You know, for us, this was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? This is the cra- craziest thing. But these, these, this is just a regular way of, of life for them. These missionaries go and they prepare a meal and they bring it to this, this dump and they, they feed everyone a, a, a healthy lunch and then they talk. They, fill, they form relationships with them and they, they spread the gospel. And I'm like, that is so cool, you know. But man, what a lost art it is for us. I was talking with Rob a couple weeks ago and we were in our staff meeting and I asked him, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I asked him just point blank. I said, hey, Rob, what would you like Velocity to be known for? And he said this like two seconds later, and I had to like stop him because I had to like write it down. But he said this, I'd love for Velocity to be known as the church that helps people. I thought that was so beautiful. You know, I'd like Velocity Church to be known for the church that helps people. And I don't think he was talking about events. You know, we can do events and we can do things as a, as a group and show hospitality and love, but I, I think he was talking about every single one of us. What if we were the church, the body of Christ that was known for helping people? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be awesome? So I want that for all of us, you know, and as we begin to kind of cultivate this this area, this lost art of hospitality in our own lives, I think collectively we could just make such a huge difference. You know, our communities would be changed, our our church would be changed, our, our world could be changed. And I don't think it's limited to velocity either. So here's, I want to give you just as we leave um, a couple of hospitality commandments. All right, so two more commandments, you know, because church is all about the rules. So I just want to give you a couple of things to help us cultivate hospitality a little bit more. So think about that first tool. Coming back to that. Commandment number one, thou shalt share food with people. You know how simple that is? Now you might be thinking, oh, I'm not a, I don't cook. I'm not like a baker, you know. Like, and that's what we think of, like, hospitality. I've got to be, like, some southern belle to do that. Like, no. I mean, that could be an extreme example, if that's extreme in our culture. For you to make a meal, you're probably going to make a meal sometime during the week for yourself. What if you made extra and delivered it over to a neighbor or a friend? You can even make the same thing for you. You can go home. You can Zoom together. I mean, there's all creative ways you can do that in this, in this crazy culture that we live in. Um, maybe it's just looking for bargains and sales at the grocery store and having like a surplus of food items in your pantry or refrigerator that right now in my refrigerator I've got I think like seven guacamoles. I got them really, really cheap and I'm going to go disperse those because I'm not going to eat seven guacamoles, you know, before they expire next week. So I'm going to disperse those all over my neighborhood. Um, You can go to a bulk warehouse down the street. You can get, you know, a big bag of grass-fed beef jerky and dark chocolate coconut bites that are individually packaged and wrapped and uh, you can get um, granola-free grain bars and things like that, grain-free granola bars. And this is what's so cool about this is that you can keep this in your car as like an emergency sort of like food bug out bag, if you will. Okay, so if you, you know, hanger ever hits and you're like, I really shouldn't eat the nachos bel grandy, you know, or I... I'm definitely not going to go and waste my money and time at getting an original chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. Did you notice that God did not strike me down? God did not strike me down 
with this. I know I have offended, I cannot believe I mentioned Chick-fil-A, disparaged the Chick-fil-A in God's holy house. I apologize for that. But if you had this emergency bug out bag of like real food that's non-perishable items, wouldn't that be cool if it served you as well, but the next time you're at a street uh, light and you see someone begging or asking for donations or something, rather than just giving them a dollar to ease your conscience, wouldn't it be cool if you reached in there and grabbed a 67 cent grass-fed beef stick and hand that to the person? I'm just giving you an example. I just want you to begin to think about things a little bit differently. Sharing food with people is how hospitality is shown throughout the world, and you don't have to give them a track with that. You don't have to preach at them or something like that. You know, that we need to continually evangelize with our actions and not just with our words. And I think just giving people food is, is a great way to show that. So while sharing the food is the, probably the most practical, it's the common way. I mean, we all got to eat, right? So we all have that in common. But there's other ways to do that. So here's the second commandment. Thou shalt look for ways to get in front of people. You shalt look for ways to get in front of people. And I know what half of you are saying right now. Because I'm saying it too. But I'm introverted. <laughs> introverted. That's okay. You can be introverted and still love people. That's 100% okay. So I'm just going to give you a couple of ideas. You can go out for a walk. Introverted can, people can walk. You can walk outside and evidently when you're walking outside, you're probably going to run into someone who's walking as well. And you can just wave from afar. You can say hi or something like that. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. If you're walking your dog, you're probably going to run into someone who's got another dog and maybe the dogs will mingle a little bit. They'll sniff each other and things like that. And you can just say, hey, what's your dog's name? Oh, that's cool. And then, hey, what's your name? And you can introduce yourself too. And maybe you're just like, oh, I'm bad with names. You know what you can do after they leave? You can put their name in your, in your phone and you can remember that. So like when I see Talicia coming down with her dog Liberty a couple blocks away, I can look in my phone. I'm like, oh, and I can say, hey, Talisha, how you doing? How's Liberty doing? And she thinks it's really cool that I remember my name. And maybe you think that's like a cheat to put that in your phone. I say that's a greater expression of love if I care enough about Talisha and forming a relationship with her and her dog, Liberty, to, to put that in my phone. Uh, maybe you can do something as simple as just sitting on your front porch, bringing your grill out. You know, maybe you'll share food with someone. Maybe you won't. I don't know. What if you just play in the front yard with your kids instead of always in the backyard? What if you invited a friend or a coworker out for coffee or lunch? What if you just prayed for opportunities? I think this is the big one, just praying for opportunities. And then like, God, when I start this day-to-day, -day, God, will you give me an opportunity just to be in front of people? It's really hard in this culture right now and in this world we live in with everything Zoomed. But just give me an opportunity to, to share love and to serve others and to, to recognize these opportunities where I might be able to extend, extend a little bit of hospitality to someone and by proxy, extend a little bit of God's grace and love to them. So as we close the day, as we enter in a time of communion, I'm going to give you a little communion instructions. We have some trays here in the building, and in a minute you can go up and get one of those and bring it back to your seat and, and take communion and spend this, this minute in reflection. You can do that at home as well too. But I'd like us to consider just one more time the definition of hospitality. Once again, it's the friendly and generous reception of guests, visitors, or strangers. I want to highlight those two words, friendly and generous. See, the cross of Christ is the greatest symbol of hospitality the world's ever known. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 says, Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners 
to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, it says that we were, we were strangers. We were foreigners. But Jesus generously received us. He received us. He accepted us. And isn't it interesting that Jesus shared a meal with his disciples and he told us to do this in remembrance of him, to take part in this meal. It's a symbol of his friendship with us. It's a symbol of his immense generosity with us because he gave us his life. He gave it to us literally and and we should do likewise. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to thank you for welcoming us to this great feast that you've prepared for us, this, this great banquet. We're all so undeserving of it, and it's just by your grace and your love, your mercy and your kindness that, that we're even included. Uh, we don't bring anything to the table other than just a, an invitation that we accept. Uh, so thank you for that immense gift that we can never repay back. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of our sins and for giving us an opportunity to to have a right standing and a right relationship with you. And I pray, God, is that we internalize that as we, uh, as that becomes a solid truth in our lives, that we would extend that to other people and that you would um, use us to be your hands and feet to this world who so desperately needs it. So we ask these things in your name. Amen.